They were called water grenades. They were water balloons, but they were on steroids. And as every little boy knows, the whole point of a grenade is to blow something up. And so we filled these things up as, as big as we could. And then it dawned on us, we don't have anything to blow up. What are we going to do? And we looked up, and there was the house across the street. Luckily, we were at my friend's house, not my house. But there was the house across the street. The grass was real high. Looked like nobody had been home in months. And we decided, that's our target. We're going to hit their garage. Now, we weren't being malicious. We were just being naive little children. And so we took the water balloons and we started to launch them with all our might, but they were really full, and they did not go very far. And they, we were standing at the edge of, of my friend's yard, and we barely cleared the street. And then we decided we would go into the driveway of what we thought was the abandoned house, and we would launch them against the garage. And when we did, we, heard the, we, we launched the balloon up, and we heard the loudest smack as it hit the garage door. Not the windows in the garage door, but it hit the garage door, and water poured everywhere, and it was just a wonderful explosion, and there was no damage, but it felt satisfying. And so we launched another one, and another one, and another one, and about four in, all of a sudden, we see the curtain in front of the garage open and the eyes peer out and so we did what anybody would do we ran we didn't stick around for it I didn't live there we just we scattered all of us ran in different directions but we weren't at that point smart enough to think of a rallying point other than the friend's house who lived directly across the street and so while we all scattered for a while which was fine I don't know what everybody else was thinking, but I started to think, well, now what do I do? So after about an eternity, which was probably five to ten minutes at that time, I made my way back to my friend's house thinking the coast would be clear. The coast was not clear. My friend was talking to apparently the neighbor, meeting him apparently for the first time, and I just kind of looked around, and he gave me one of these, and this was at the point of my life where I thought I had to listen to every adult. And so, for whatever reason, I, I did walk over. And then one of our other friends, who was smarter than me, was still missing. Uh, and so, all of a sudden, a few minutes later, he was ushered into the conversation. And he, like me, was dumb enough to think, if anybody brings you over, you just got to come over. So he comes over. And the neighbor, he was great. He, he was just like, guys, I know you're not trying to damage anything, but these could damage something, so just be wise. And, and that was it. I mean, he wasn't that mad. He, rec he was very gracious, recognized that we're all, we all do dumb things when we're kids, and we're just trying to have some fun because we were bored on a summer day, and we weren't addicted to tablets because they didn't exist. If they existed, we'd have been addicted to them, but they didn't, so we had to go out and make trouble back in the good old days. That's what we did. And he, he just told us, hey, just, just be smart about, about what you're doing. Fast forward a few years later, some of the same friends. It was a Friday night. We were bored. We decided it would be a great expulsion of energy to go to Walmart and buy as many cases of toilet paper as we could and to decorate people's lawns for them. It, it's, really, it's really an act of charity if you think about it. We're, we're enhancing your property. We're, we're doing landscaping for you. And that's, that's, what we, that's what we said. So we loaded up the car. 
And with us was a different friend this time, and he was one of those guys that grew up just fantasizing about being military one day from the time he was from the time he was born his parents weren't military but there was just something in his blood that he was going to be military and and so it wasn't like when you talk to him he would always try to work in alpha bravo into the conversation we're like what like no just stop but he had the most storage room in his car, so he was coming on this excursion with us. And as we were going along the way, he said, this is our rendezvous point. We're like, what is he even talking about? And so we parked about a quarter of a mile away, and he said, this is where we run to. But we all run in different directions. And we're like, all right, this guy's extra. We know he's extra, but cool. Cool. And so we go, and we just start decorating, decorating this girl's lawn. You, you, you saw more toilet paper than you saw trees or grass. It was a beautiful thing until all of a sudden the neighbor pulled into the driveway with their lights on, who may have had an affiliation with the police department. And then it was time to run. And so that's exactly what we did. And we scattered. And because there was a rendezvous point, because we scattered in all different directions, this time we got into the car, we saw the police lights in a different direction, and we never encountered them because we were smart about the way we scattered. Now, I don't know about you, but hopefully, if you're anything like me, your scattering days are behind you. Your scattering days are behind you. I mean, that was something you, you did when you were younger. You would get into some trouble. You'd, you'd, you'd have some fun. But, but generally, once you become an adult, if you have to scatter, you're going to face a charge sooner or later. So hopefully, those days are long behind you. But what I want you to do today is I want you to think back. Think back to that time in your life where you did have to scatter. Maybe you were throwing water balloons. Maybe you were toilet paper in somebody's house. Maybe you were doing something else. And, and if you were, we all have a past. I don't know what you were doing. But we've all had those, those moments and those instances where we've had to scatter. And what I want you to do is think back to those. And when I think back to those situations in my life, all those times that I've had to scatter were because I was doing something I probably shouldn't have been doing. I probably shouldn't have been doing. I mean, it was fun. It was harmless. It was, it was entertaining. But, but none of it was, was super malicious. None of it was, was attempting, to, attempting to destroy anything. But, but all things that I probably shouldn't have done. But I've never had to scatter for doing something that I should. That's not something that I've experienced. And yet, what we're going to see today as we continue our look at the book of Acts and at the, at the spread of the early church, is we're going to see people had to scatter for doing what they should. That they were doing precisely what God called them to do. And because of that, they had to run. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us today. We utilize a a resource here all the time called the Bible app. It's available in whatever app store you utilize on your devices. It's completely free. It's a great resource. And one of the features within the Bible app is called events. And there you can either enable your locations or type in Lakeside Community Church Algoma, and you'll be able to follow along with us right on your device. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're again in the New Testament book of Acts. We're going to look at the first part of Acts chapter 8 today. If you're joining us via the stream, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside.
side and the verses will be available for you on the screen below as we as we pick up the story of the early church where Stephen has just been martyred. He's just been stoned. And that's where we pick up this morning in Acts chapter 8. Starting verse 1, we read these words. And Saul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, where we pick up today is Stephen has been executed. He was stoned to death. They literally picked up stones and threw them at him repeatedly until enough stones caused enough blunt force trauma that he died. It was a vicious death. And that's how he was executed. And there's a young leader, a young charismatic leader there by the name of Saul. We were introduced to him last week, and, and we weren't told much about him, but, but we were told that he was a young leader, and here we're told very distinctly that he approves of this, that he approves of this. He, he was very opposed to what Stephen was saying. He was very opposed to the work of Jesus, and so when he sees what Stephen is saying, and he hears what Stephen's saying, and he sees what's happening, he wants to put an end to it, and so he sees that there's a way to do this, and the people stone Stephen, and he is pleased that Stephen is executed, and notice what happens, and now a great persecution, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem happens, and now there's great persecution. What we've seen so far throughout the book of Acts to this point is we have seen that predominantly the work of God is happening right in Jerusalem. It's happening right in the city. And remember what Jesus told his followers after he rose from the dead, before he ascended to heaven. He told his followers, go and make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And so far, what's happened with the early church is it's happened right there in Jerusalem. But what did Jesus tell them to do? He said, transform this region and then go. And what did the church do? It transformed that region. And it stayed. And now, persecution is here. Stephen has been killed. And because persecution is here, they scatter. They leave. They leave the city and they go to the regions, the regions that Jesus told them to reach. They go, but the reason that they go is because of persecution and because hardship has arisen in their city. And there's a select group that stays even still. And that's the apostles. The apostles stay in Jerusalem. Now, does this mean that the apostles are wrong for staying in Jerusalem? No. Does this mean that the other followers of Jesus are wrong for scattering out to their regions? The answer is no. These people went where God was calling them to go and doing what God was calling them to do. And the reason this is important is because sometimes you'll hear pastors or speakers or authors And what they want to do is they want to challenge people, and it's meant from a really good place. They want to challenge people to grow deeper in their faith. They want to challenge people to 
to become more in love with Jesus. They want to challenge people to, to just become more like God. But in the process, what they'll do is they'll start to guilt people. They'll start to guilt people. And all of a sudden, there's this idea that if you're not willing to smuggle Bibles into places where, where it's illegal to smuggle Bibles, and if you're not willing to dedicate your life to go into those regions of China, then you're not all sold out to follow after Jesus. And you're not as an effective follower of Jesus as somebody else who stays where God has them and their family and doesn't do those things. And it's important for us to recognize that as people that love and follow Jesus, when the, when the followers of Jesus scattered and they went to Judea and Samaria, they were in the heart of God's will. And when the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, right in the midst of great persecution, they were in the heart of God's will. That God has different plans for different people. And devout men buried Stephen and make great lamentation over him. Notice what's going on here. Devout men, people that are sold out, they are following Jesus. They're all in. They go and they get Stephen's body and they bury it. And what happens? They have great lamentation over him. There is mourning with these devout men. And, and you might scratch your head or, or you might shake your head and wonder, well, well, don't they know? Don't they know that to be absent from the body is present with the Lord? Don't they know that the, the sacrifice for sin has been paid once and for all in the work of Jesus on the cross? And that when he rose from the grave, he was victorious over sin, hell, death, and the grave, proving we have hope? Don't they know that? What are they sad about? And the thing that they're sad about is that Stephen's dead. And when we lose people in our lives that love Jesus and follow after Him, it's okay to mourn their loss. It's okay to be sad. We don't have to put up a front like we're not sad and we're not going to grieve missing people. It's okay that we, even though we know that they, to be absent with from the body is to be present with the Lord that even though they are in a better place than we can possibly imagine we can still be sad because we're going to miss them and we're going to mourn as we remember their life and that doesn't mean that we lack faith it's just part of the human grieving process and so if you lose somebody that you love or if somebody right now is on the verge of, of passing away, and you know, you know they have a, a strong faith in Jesus, it's okay to be sad about that. And we don't have to pretend that just because we follow after Jesus that everything's going to be wonderful in every aspect of that grief and that loss. There is a human element. We're going to miss them. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve their loss. Here we see devout men, and they are mourning. They are mourning the loss of Stephen, even though they know. I mean, I mean Stephen was just given a, a supernatural glimpse into heaven. There's no question of what's happening to Stephen. Yet these men who love and follow Jesus and knew about Stephen's faith, they lament him, and they mourn. As he's been buried. But Saul, verse 3 says, was ravaging the church. 
And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And Saul is just going through and arresting people, just dragging them out, taking them to prison. For what, what is their crime? Following Jesus. Verse 4 tells us this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They left the city, they left Jerusalem, but what they didn't leave was their faith behind. Things got hard and they relocated. But they didn't leave their faith behind. They took their faith with them. And ultimately fulfilled what Jesus called them to do. They went. Things got nasty in Jerusalem. They see that people are being killed. People are being arrested. They said, we're out. And they leave. They leave behind all that turmoil. But the thing that they didn't leave behind was their faith. They took their faith with them. Into new circumstances. Into new cities. And what happens is incredible. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Philip goes to Samaria. He proclaims Jesus. And miraculous things happen. Miraculous things happen. And unclean spirits come out of people. People that are demon-possessed are, are being healed of this. And, and, and it's just fascinating what's going on. And, and I want to pause here just for a minute. Because I, I just I want to I recognize something. And that's this. That, that mental health struggles are very real. They're very real. And if you struggle with mental health, there is no shame whatsoever in seeking out help from a doctor or a therapist, a counselor. There is no shame in, in being on medication that will help regulate. Our brains, like any other part of our bodies, can become sick. They can function in different ways than, than they're intended to. And so there is no shame in that whatsoever. Whatsoever. Hear me very clearly on that. Mental health is real, and there is no shame in getting help, talking to somebody, talking about it, being on medication to help regulate things in your mind. There, there, there is nothing wrong with that. There is no shame with that whatsoever. But every expression that we see, every expression that we see isn't as simple as always being a case of, of mental health. There is a very real, in some circumstances, a very real spiritual component to it as well. And if that's the case, if that's what's going on, all the medication in the world isn't going to solve the problem. It isn't going to solve the problem. And what we see here, what we see here is that there, there's more than one. There are a number of people, there are a number of people who are struggling with, with really demonic possession going on in their lives in this city. And if that was the case then, that's certainly going to be the case in this day. That sometimes there's just evil. There's just evil in the world. 
and you cannot regulate it. it. It doesn't matter how many drugs you prescribe. It doesn't matter how many counseling appointments there are. It doesn't matter how many treatments they go through. It's a spiritual problem ultimately. And the only solution to that is going to be a spiritual solution. Now, does that mean that every mental problem that people face is spiritual? No, not at all. Our bodies are physical and our brains are being part of our physical bodies can get sick just like any other part of our body. But sometimes, sometimes there's a spiritual component in people that people are trying to treat with, with drugs and with therapy, and it's just not going to work. Because we see it here, we see it in our society, there is evil that's unspeakable, and the reality is the demonic possession, it, it's real. It's real. And what happens is Philip goes down to Samaria and, and he sees, he sees this, this place that desperately needs the hope of Jesus. He proclaims it. People are coming to Jesus. People who did struggle with demonic possession are healed of that. It's out of the equation now. People who struggle with other physical ailments, they're healed as well. And there is much joy now in this city, in this city of Samaria, in this city that wouldn't have been reached if everybody was still consolidated in Jerusalem. Which means that God can use the worst things that happen to us. That somebody's friend is murdered and now people are going around getting arrested and so people run out of town and what happens when they run out of town is God uses them in other places for his glory. Does this mean God's ultimately responsible for the murder of Stephen? No. But in his divine plan, God used even something like that for good. And the reason that we camp out on that this morning is this. There are going to be, unfortunately, hard, horrible things that you have to encounter in your life. Some people will treat you unfairly. Some people will wrong you. Some people may even malign you. There, there will be circumstances that are unfair that you have to deal with in your life. And it seems like when you're walking through those, there's nothing good about this. Nothing, nothing good can come from this. And what I want to encourage you to do, especially if you're right there in the midst of it right now, is to recognize that even in the hard and horrible circumstances and times, God can still work through those times to accomplish some wonderful things. So don't lose heart and don't lose hope. And does that mean it's easy? No. It's not easy to bury your friend. It's not easy to leave your city that you've become established in. To run out. To live in a new region. There's nothing easy about that. But God will sustain you. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So Simon was a magician, and, and who doesn't love a good, a good magic show? I, I grew up watching the David Copperfield specials. 
that didn't age well. Uh, but you know, those those were really those were exciting and engaging to engaging to watch. And and Simon, he was a magician. He had fame. People people loved to see it, and he leveraged it. He leveraged it for for a following. And, and this was before social media, so think how impressive he was, that he built just a, a word-of-mouth following and word-of-mouth fame, that this is what Simon could do, and it was incredible, and, and people liked to watch him. They were entertained by him. He built a following. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. How incredible was Simon? Well, we're told right here that Simon was able to transcend art forms. Simon was able to transcend art forms. And think of how fascinating this is. Think of how fascinating this is. When we think of especially our entertainment, our entertainment is so segmented. I know there's crossover, and I know this is a stereotype, so I, I recognize that. But generally, generally, and there is crossover, and I don't mean to play on stereotype, but generally you are not going to attract the same people at a venue two nights in a row if night number one is a night at the opera and night number two is WrestleMania. You're just not going to generally attract the same crowd. It's just generally going to be different crowds. And that's not to say that one is better than the other. It's not. It's just generally going to attract two different crowds. But what we're told is Simon transcended all of that. Simon transcended all of that. He was a populist. And, and the, people, the people were amazed. They were amazed at what he could do. They were amazed at what he could do. So the wealthiest to the poorest, the most influential to those nobody knew, they were all amazed at how Simon performed and what he could do. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now Simon hears Philip conveying the message of Jesus. And Simon surrenders his heart to God, follows after him, and he, after hearing the message that, that Philip presented. We notice here that people were baptized. This is, the re, this is one of the reasons here, Acts 8.12, one of the reasons we here at Lakeside, we, we do not baptize infants, we do not baptize babies. One of the reasons is we believe baptism is best expressed by immersion, which is uh, we, we fully dunk people and, and bring them up to represent the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and why we also believe that it's a personal choice. We notice here in Acts 8.12 that people were baptized when? after they made the decision to follow after Jesus. It's something we'll see again next week as we look at the last part of Acts chapter 8. So it's just, just the reason that we do it that way here. We're not mad at you or your family if you were baptized as a baby or a little kid. No, we, we thank God that your family wanted to set you up with a firm foundation of faith in Jesus. So we're not saying that, oh, it's horrible. It's just saying we don't we don't do that here. Instead, here we, we do something called child dedication where we link arms with parents and say, hey, we want to walk beside you as you go through this journey called parenting, this, this crazy journey. By the way, happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. It, it's the hardest and most rewarding job in the world, so 
just we, we want to link arms with parents, but that's, that's the reason that we don't baptize babies or infants here. Simon hears this message of Philip. He believes, and now he sees Philip able to perform the supernatural because God's working through Philip. And what Simon knows is my magic's illusion. This is real. I, I have my fame, and I make my living by making people believe. But what God's doing through Philip is authentic. It's real. It's the supernatural. It's not performance art. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Peter and John, who were still in Jerusalem, where God called them to stay, now come down to Samaria. And there they prayed that the people might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this forces us to ask a theological question. Why didn't the people that believed when Philip conveyed to them the message and the hope of Jesus, why didn't they just automatically receive the Holy Spirit as we do today? And this is, this is something, and, and just follow with me for just a minute. This is just something that we have to remember as we go through the book of Acts. As we go through much of the New Testament, there's, there's something we have to ask ourselves. Is what we're reading descriptive, meaning is it descriptive of what happened, or is it prescriptive, meaning is this what we need to apply and do in our lives? And much of Acts is about the development of the church from a historical perspective. It's much of what God did supernaturally through the apostles and, and through his followers, but much of it is descriptive and not prescriptive. Much of it is telling us what transpired. And we know that this is one of those situations because Acts serves as a, a, trans, transitional, a transitional time. And we know that, we don't have time to go there today, because of Romans 8, 9 to 11, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that all people, when the moment they receive Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. So why would this happen? Well, the answer is because of the unification of the church. Think about where they are. They're Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans hated one another. And all we have to do is go back to Acts chapter 6, just a couple chapters earlier, to remember this. What is the drama that thrusts Stephen into leadership? That the widows, whether or not they were getting the food that they should have gotten from the church's generosity. And the Hellenists, who were Jewish but left, Jerusalem, and then came back, felt they were being overlooked. And what this forces us to see, when Peter and John, who are Jewish, come to Samaria, and the Jews hated the Samaritans, and vice versa, what this forces us to see is that there aren't different levels in the church. That the church is unified. That it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or half Jewish or Greek. It doesn't matter. 
There is one church where all of our, all of our differences, where our races and our political affiliations and all of our differences, they come to die. And what ultimately unites us is our shared faith in Jesus. And this is a picture of that, that Peter and John come down and they, when they arrive, the Holy Spirit comes on the believers there. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon, who's, who's made his living with illusion, sees what's actually happening and sees God working supernaturally through his spirit, through these people. And all of a sudden, the career and the fame that was built on illusion, he starts to think, imagine what I could accomplish for myself. Imagine the name and the following and the celebrity I could build. If I no longer had to rely on illusion, but I actually had the power to do these things, imagine how incredible that would be. But he's a magician, so he knows nothing's for free. And he says, I'll buy it. How can I buy this power? How can I buy having God work through me in this way? But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. That's gentle. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Peter responds in a much more forceful way than it seems in our language. I mean, it doesn't seem all that pleasant and all that polite in our language. But what what Peter's basically telling him is to hell with you and your money. Which is a direct response. But remember Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. They tried to leverage their very real generosity. But they tried to leverage it for what? For accolades and notoriety, for fame, to make themselves the focus. Instead of what God was doing through His people, through the church, they wanted to become the focus. They wanted the fame. They wanted the attention. And God took them out. The work of God isn't for sale. And it shouldn't be leveraged for fame. And it shouldn't be leveraged for notoriety and prestige. Because when you start to chase after those things, you miss it entirely. And we we see Peter's response here. But ultimately, Peter's response is a gracious response. When we think back to what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, saying, Simon, it's not about that. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon asked them to pray that none of that becomes a reality. And now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel 
to many villages of the Samaritans. Our situations and our circumstances will change. And you will experience times of just great blessing. You will experience times when life is easy and everything is going as it should. And there's great fulfillment. You'll experience times where, where your work life is just, it's just progressing fantastically. And promotions come and things are firing on all cylinders. Everything feels good. You'll experience times where you fall in love and it's easy. It isn't hard. And things just so naturally feel wonderful. You'll experience times where your portfolio grows. You project retirement. You're like, it's going to be here before I even know it, but that's okay because we're doing better than I ever thought. And you're going to experience times where layoffs hit you out of nowhere. And colleagues you thought you could count on people that stab you in the back. And love, that's a distant memory. Because you sleep 18 inches away, but a California king wouldn't be big enough to give you the distance you want. There's going to be times in life where life is hard. God may even call you somewhere else to go do something else that you never saw coming because you were happy and you were content and you were comfortable where you were. And worse yet, God, God might call you someplace that isn't comfortable at all. Our circumstances in our situations, in our settings, all change. But what never changes, what never changes is the mission that God has called us to. That we, who love and follow Jesus, are to leverage our lives and our opportunities for Him. No matter where He calls us to go and what He calls us to do. Not to leverage that for our fame and notoriety, but to recognize the mission as something that never changes. Let's pray. God, thank You for what you've called us to do. Thank you for the privilege that we have of partnering with you in your work. Of going and making disciples. God, I pray that we'd be faithful to do that here. I pray that we'd be faithful to do that across this region, and God, I pray we'd do that across this world. I pray that you'd use this place in a powerful way to extend your hope to those who need it. 
May we lift high the name of Jesus. May you be glorified. May you use Lakeside in a powerful way. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.